Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Creative expression is found everywhere. Think of all the different forms of art, music, and architecture, for example. I mean, this ability of humans to think in an abstract manner is certainly one of the defining traits of the human species. Not only do we appreciate it, we build businesses, lives, and modes of communication around it. And to add, creativity, as we all know, can breed further inspiration and lead to even more development. Well, on today's show, we have a guest who lives, breathes, and immerses himself in this world of creative thought and dissemination. And quite frankly, his business depends on it. Adding to the complexity of what he does is that he requires teams of people that are also equally tuned into harnessing their own creative faculties to align and ultimately get behind big ideas time and time again in order to create something of value for the clients his business serves. Welcome to the world of ad agency work. All right, welcome to the show. So Mark Wesling is the co-founder and director of Ultra Super New, or USN, an independent creative agency born and raised in Harajuku with offices and art galleries in Tokyo and Singapore. Since 2007, the international USN team of 60 plus people has been serving clients such as Red Bull, Unilever, Heineken, Mini, Pernod Ricard, Skin Condoms, Asics, Adobe, EA Sports, Puma, PayPal, Tabasco, and many other top-tier brands. And USN is a highly decorated outfit, with award and recognition not limited to Campaign Asia's Pacific Agency of the Year Award in 2020 and 2021, as well as Japan Korea Independent Agency of the Year, Silver and Gold Prizes. So yeah, I mean, these guys do well. And outside of their ad work and awards, from 2012, USN also began operating art galleries at both offices to give a platform to the makers and creators of these cities, which USN operates within. Now, back to Mark. He's from Amsterdam, but has been living in Japan since 2002 and in Singapore since 2016. Before Tokyo, he'd been working in advertising and digital media at various companies in San Francisco, New York, and Hong Kong. On the personal side, Mark is addicted to snowboarding, and as such, the Japanese Alps is where he's at and spends most of his weekends during the winter months. Mark has his Master of Law LLM degree from the University of Leiden in Media Law. So with all that said, Mark, I mean, it's an absolute honor to welcome you to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, Chris. Thank you for, uh, for having me. Yeah, I've had this circled on the calendar for a little while now. I mean, uh, your work speaks for itself, all you've accomplished and everything else. Yeah, I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation, as will I. So yeah, really excited to get into it. You know, I've got the first segment lined up, and it's something called Coloring Wikipedia. And basically, it's a segment that I just kind of read off a definition of the guest profession or the industry that that person's involved with. And I like to do it for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it kind of brings everybody up to speed. You know, everyone gets a better understanding of what it is you do, what you're involved with. And then two, I mean, sometimes Wikipedia is on, the definition hits, and other times it's just flat out off. And, uh, and thirdly as well, I mean, I think each individual puts their own stamp on what they do. And that also kind of makes it unique and uh, offers up some sort of interesting vantage points uh, within the profession itself. So with that in mind, I do have you down here, not for the profession itself, but for, I guess, 
the industry, kind of representative of the industry and the company that you run, basically, which is an advertising agency. So let me just read that off according to Wikipedia and maybe in the context of all that you do and over the course of your career and everything else, you can kind of comment after. Does that sound good? Yep. All right. So here we go. Advertising agency. An advertising agency, often referred to as a creative agency or an ad agency, is a business dedicated to creating, planning, and handling advertising, and sometimes other forms of promotion and marketing for its clients. An ad agency is generally independent of the client. It may be an internal department or agency that provides an outside point of view to the effort of selling the client's products or services, or an outside firm. An agency can also handle overall marketing and branding strategies for its clients, which may include sales as well. So there it is, a bit of a mouthful. But uh, first impressions, what do you think of that, Mark? Uh, yes, but in Japan, it's slightly different um, because the direct translation of an advertising agency in Japan is a kukukudairiten. Yeah. And we are not referring us, ourselves to a kukukudairiten because then you are in the Densu Hakohodo ADK kind of uh, world. And yeah, we tend to position ourselves as almost the opposite of those uh, those agencies. Of course, you know, like Densu is just huge and, and, and massive and probably one of the most powerful companies in Japan. And uh, th their business is not necessarily about, you know, like uh, creativity, but more about media and reselling the media. And you get, you know, like the creative for free including the celebrities etc and that's why all those beer ads for example all look the same or a lot of car ads look the same because yeah they they own the media which they need to resell and they own the celebrities which they need to resell yeah. so yeah resell ads with celebrities in already you know like tv etc yeah the world moves on you know the, yeah, yeah digital it's like cookie cutter almost isn't it right like a cookie cutter approach to it, kind of like a standardized almost model that's like, okay, we're going to apply this same sort of approach or strategy to every single campaign. You know, like it's not really individualized or personalized all that much. Like you said, kind of the creativity is something that's maybe lacking on their side. It's more standardization, if anything. They have all the resources. Yeah, available and, and them, it's also their business model. You know, yeah. like, so when we started in 2007, we, we started off as a digital creative agency and uh, to differentiate ourselves uh, back in the days funny enough there were no digital agencies in japan it could help clients you know like from uh, strategy to to creative to production in a digital world yeah um and 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 when we won uh, the red bull account in 2008 uh, that pushed us to become full service uh, full service meaning that we're also doing tv ads or OOH such as billboards or 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 public transport uh, ads yeah. and so on. But winning the Red Bull account was also very defining for our positioning, which is heavily around more younger targets. You know, like so at that time, of course, millennials now also included Gen Z and yeah. whatever generation comes next. And if you look at millennials and, and all the generations after, it's mobile first. Yeah, that's key access point to to, to communication. And from there, you think further. While those conventional ad agencies, not only just Dentsu, but also the global big ones, right. they still, you know, like pat each other on the backs for, you know, like making TV commercials, which yeah. I don't think is it's irrelevant, but it's just a part of the media mix. Right. And 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 it's more about, you know, like what is 
that story? What is that creative part? What is the insight that you can find to, to make communication that will move the needle for that product or service or that will reach people's hearts, whether it's humorous mm-hmm. or whether it's it's emotional. And yeah. you know, like we are much more in that area than formalized advertising. That's why we don't really call ourselves an advertising agency. Mm-hmm. What what would you call yourself then? Maybe you already answered that, and I missed that. But what would you say? You- yeah, it's, it's a good point. You know, like we call ourselves a creative agency, but for some yeah. people, it's it's also maybe too vague. You know, like some people yeah. they don't have enough knowledge about marketing, so they mm-hmm. they say like, oh, so you're doing PR? So well, PR is, is part of it. You know, like yeah. it is creative agency is as you said because you understand this this world. It's it's um, finding creative solutions for complex creative problems it's actually you know like Accenture or or all those like you know consultancy companies they they do it more on the sort of operational level i think we're doing it from a creative level mm, mm, okay yeah i think that clarifies things you know really nicely especially for people you know that are outside of the industry that aren't really tuned into all of this i think that really like sheds a, a really bright light on it and it kind of like just clarifies a lot for people because i think that that sort of nuance would be lost on most people. So yeah, I think this is the first gem of this conversation, quite frankly, Mark. Yeah. In terms of, I guess, that that aspect as well, I mean, you have offices, of course, in Japan and Tokyo, but then also too, you have offices in Singapore as well, I understand. Yeah. You know, in terms of your role, what is it like the day-to-day of managing offices in both markets? I mean, they're both Asian markets, but they're both quite different, I would imagine, as well. I mean... Yeah, yeah, and also the, the offices are quite different. Tokyo is more established. We are in a fantastic office in Harajuku with uh, on Meiji Dori. There are about 50, 60 people working there, you know, like we're solid teams and... and in Singapore, we opened shop in 2016. Funny enough, uh, you know, Singapore, of course, is a much more international city than than, than Tokyo, yeah. um, and it has a huge expat community because yeah, that, that the country is built on on, on expats. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like the first thing that people ask you always is sort of like, "How long are you here?" And mm-hmm. at that time, I just arrived in Singapore. I said, "Well, you know, I'm here just uh, like a month ago," and then especially <laughs> expats. We're saying like, oh, okay. And they were going to tell me how Asia works. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> but you're in Singapore. And Singapore is all English speaking and it's very convenient <laughs> and yeah. so on. But it's Asia light. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, I don't need to tell you, you know, like, say you, you, you experience Asia, at least, you know, like, you know, like learn the language, which you have to in Japan and, yeah. you know, like get to know the culture. Otherwise your life is becoming very difficult. Yeah. All that yeah. stuff is not needed in Singapore. You can just live in, right. or, you know, like, for example, I'm Dutch, you know, like the Dutch community, they go to the Dutch club, they go to the Dutch school, they hang out with Dutch people. Yeah. yeah. Technically in, in Asia, but, you know, like uh, in a way that was quite shocking for me because I also saw the traditional agencies or the, the and they always had, you know, like uh, uh, foreigners on the top and then the locals doing their work. And, and mm. for me, that doesn't work. You know, like, uh, maybe you can make amazing work in London or in New York, right. but it doesn't mean that you can do create great work in, uh, for example, in Singapore, because you yeah. don't know the culture. Uh, you're looking from it with a very Western point of view. Uh, so I just wanted to immediately go away from the expat scene as far as I could. Mm. So uh, we are 
close to Little India, Jalan Bazaar, in a hip, trendy area for locals. You know, like it's a very local area. My team is 100% local, very young. Mm. And so they're more like a pirate ship who are, you know, like fighting and less established. Great. You know, like, so when I come to Tokyo, I'm like, wow, okay, amazing teams and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And in Singapore, the, you, you come to the pirate ship. <laughs> it, it keeps keeps me inspired. And, 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 yeah. and Yeah. Is there crossover there a little bit? I mean, you just spoke to that point where, like, obviously the cultural points are very, very different, you know, and then and that yeah. goes without saying. But at the same time, I guess, like, deriving inspiration from one say within singapore like just different ideas and just like a fresh sort of approach like they don't know what they don't know probably at that point you know like lots of you know inspiring ideas but it's still early for them whereas in tokyo you have this office that's seasoned it's been the market for ages you know the the systems the processes are down like you've got it nailed there like that that whole dynamic of working in between the two kind of just fascinates me it must really like at times probably charge you up but then also a number of times must present uh, its own unique set of challenges as well. Again, it keeps me inspired, and yeah. and, and when I'm too long at a, a particular point for me, you know, like I, I need the inspiration. I need to travel. Uh, so also the yeah. pandemic for me, you know, like I was probably one of the few people that reached this platinum status of uh, my my airline because I was I kept on flying. And lucky <laughs> that you know, like I am a permanent resident in Japan. I got a European passport, and I'm a resident in Singapore. So I was always able to to, to travel. Right. But I need that, and and. Uh, we're doing a lot of crossover between those offices because also for the team, it's a nice opportunity to work, you know, like at a different yeah. office, different people and, and, and get them inspired. Um, we also have internship programs for uh, Singaporean students where they do a few months at the Singapore office and then a few months uh, at the Tokyo okay. office. And it, it, it's great. And, and, and the quality is, is, is amazing. You know, like, um, there's a whole generation coming up in Singapore love creativity and they don't want to work the conventional jobs such as banks or or, or yeah. doctors or lawyers they so it, it, it's good it, it, yeah. it's, it's a very yeah good setup to be honest I think sounds like it yeah sounds like it Alrighty. well I would kind of like to bounce into a new segment here something called a Q&A discovery we can just kind of continue this back and forth but I, this first question here I kind of want to rewind a little bit here We've been speaking about the present, you know, operations in, in Japan and Tokyo, and then of course in Singapore as well. But maybe we kind of go back. So before 2002, before entering into Japan, you know, what, like what led you down this path essentially? Like was creative sort of expression and outlet, was that something that was always sort of like on your radar that you were drawn towards and you're just kind of like trying to find a way to, to get that out? And that's where sort of like your work in advertising evolved. Or was it something else that just sort of like came along that directed you down that path? Um, I think creativity was always part of my my DNA. But like you're young and you have to decide, you know, like what to study. You know, like I, yeah. it didn't really pop up. And at that time, you know, the creativity was not or creative career and creative was not considered mm. as a real job. You know, when you go to art school, people think, oh, you're going to become a, a poor artist. So. I never really thought about it, uh, and then you know, like, so I, yeah, I went to study law. Yeah, <laughs> very boring uh, studies, but I'm happy I did it because you know it gave me a good foundation, and I also see a university degree more as a sort of a sign that you're not that you're not stupid. You know, you okay, okay, you got your university degree, great, but you still don't know anything. So <laughs> I started my career actually, funny enough, at a bank in Hong Kong, and I learned what I. Don't want, you know, like yeah. after three months working in finance, uh, for me, I thought it was 
yeah, that, that you don't make anything. You just move money from A to B. Uh, that that's not you know like what made me happy. And then I was lucky that I met uh, someone uh, who was looking for an MD to run uh, the office, uh, and, and this company was making premiums, like promotional items, like the stuff that mm. you get when you buy a yeah. crate of beer, you get a, a hat or a towel or whatever, all the crap. At that time, most of that stuff was made in China because China, of course, was you know, right. cheapest for production. And, you know, like, took the job. I was 24 years old and, you know, like I could travel to China. It was an adventure. And, you know, like I started to actually, you know, like also come up with a lot of ideas myself, mm. which resonates, you know, like very well with clients. They're like, wow, okay. So, a, I love it, and B, clients like stuff that I came up with. So that was sort of positive reinforcement there, yeah. Yeah, and I never looked back. To be honest, you know, like remember that all my finance friends, you know, that like they were buying Porsches at the end of the year with yeah. their bonuses, and I, I just stuck to working in, in something that I love and that I yeah passion for, and, and I'm so happy because you know, like yeah. all those finance guys who are now you know like without a job because you know like the finance industry is not as good anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they don't know what to do, and you know, like, and that's for yeah. me the most horrible thing that I can think yeah. of. That you wake up on Monday, like, yeah, what I'm going to do? Yeah, counting yeah. your money. There's, there's only so many Porsches you, that anyone can have, I suppose. Anyway, right? <laughs> I think, I think, I think it, I read it's, it's one of my once. clients. Yeah, you, you, it's one of my clients. You cannot have enough Porsches. Okay, well, there you go. All right, all right. Maybe we'll, we'll change it to Ferraris or something like that. But I, I think I read something yeah. once that it was like there was an actual study that was done where when you when somebody bought a, a new car, whether it was a Porsche, whether it was a Ferrari, whatever it was, just even a Prius, for yeah. example, that that feeling of newness lasts like three months, and then after that, it's gone. Yeah. Like that thrill of having that that major purchase, which cost you you know X amount of years probably in savings or whatever it might be, three months yeah. is all that it really is worth to you and then after uh, that, I, just, I, dis- I disagree yeah, like, okay. uh, i don't really care that much about luxury products and, and so on no no uh, nor do i but i was just a fascinating study i thought but yeah, yeah but when when we started to work on the porsche pitch okay uh, and, and my my career director a guy called cesar portuguese guy and we said when we're gonna win this we're gonna buy one like once in your life <laughs> okay all right you all right you have to have a 9-11, you know. Like fair I mean, enough, fair enough, okay. And and, and it was a very, very big pitch. I think there were 10 agencies involved, you yeah. know, like multiple rounds. And uh, we made it to the last round and then we lost it. You know, like, and we were so angry. So like, shit, man, you know, like we worked so hard on it. And the deck yeah. was so good. You know when the deck is good, when the ideas yeah. are solid and, and everything. Yeah. But we lost it. And it, and. and we were actually quite pissed off because it went to Hakohodo, although the brief oh, yeah. clearly said at the beginning they were going for creative excellency and, and all respect for my colleagues at Hakohodo, but they're not known for creative excellency. Yeah. So six months later, Porsche knocked on our door again, so like, can we have a chat? And uh, the MD came over with his whole entourage. And Cesar, the, the, the creative director, asked the MD directly, like, why did we lose? And the guy only stared at the floor and saying, like, we made a mistake. That's why we're here. <laughs> so uh, we we won the account like with nice. six months uh, after six month delay, and uh, yeah, then I of course had to buy one. And, you got your Porsche, uh, all right, and it lasted. The, the fulfillment lasted longer than three months. Right? It, it never ends. How about, how about that? Let's, let's leave it at that, just in case any of you is listening from uh, from Porsche. It, it never. The fulfillment never ends of of having a Porsche. No, right? I love it. <laughs> Still, I have one now for a year, and I never there we thought go. I would say it, but I love it. All right. There we go. There we go. There it is. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, 
I do have another quick question here as well. I mean, you know, you know, Ultra Super New and what it's come to represent. One, use of your client list, the number of awards, all these different things. I mean, the respect that you've garnered in in both locales, you know, not only in Japan, but also, you know, developing in Singapore. Curious about, like, you've spoken to this a little bit you know, in terms of the creativity and what really defines Ultra Super New. But I mean, maybe you could expand on that. Like, what, what makes Ultra Super New Ultra Super New? Like, what is it that really is your secret sauce, essentially? Uh, the, the, first of all, of course, the people. I think, you know, like yeah. we got an amazing group of people. It always starts This there. is also something that for me, I, that's what I tell, especially the Japanese crew, sort of like, you know, like, no, the client is not king. You are the king. And the thing is also, you know, like I would always protect my team first over clients. That's why, you know, also the big difference between Kokoku Dairi Ten on ATC mm. in Japanese and us is that. I tell clients, if you're looking for robots who are just executing stuff, we are not that kind of agency. We yeah. push back, we fight for our beliefs, and you know, like our team is everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when the team is good, you know, like good creative ideas will come out. Yeah. Yeah. And good creative ideas will lead to more success because you know that that's our yeah. our, our our business. So when we just have to do work just for the sake of it with clients who are, you know, like sort of to say, like, for example, bad clients that are just yeah. using us as a production, sort of do this, do that. And when we're going to do stuff that we don't believe in, eventually, you know, like uh, we will get the blame. Um, even when we say like, yeah, that's what you wanted. So, yeah. Right. They, they will always say like, I hired that agency. Yeah. yeah so it, it's, it's, you know, like it's maybe one of the luxuries we have as an independent that we can say, like, no, we don't do that. You know, like, yeah. um, also, you know, like I would not do, for example, greenwashing. You know, like I would mm. not make a commercial, for example, for Porsche with a 911 saying like, oh, yeah, you know, like it's so good for the environment. Yeah. I would do that for the electric one, but I will mm-hmm. not say that for, you know, like a, a fossil fuel one. You know, like so I would not lie. You know, like I, you know, sometimes people say advertising is lying. No, you know, like we make things pretty and, and, mm-hmm. and attractive, yeah. but it's, we're not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, that's a big differentiator for us. And I think, you know, like that art gallery is also amazing. It gives us a finger on the pulse of, of the creative scene. Yeah? So yeah. Tokyo and Singapore are both very expensive cities. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. difficult for young and up-and-coming artists to showcase their work. And through our galleries, we can do that. And uh, we do organize a lot of, like, events there uh, of like for topics that we like. In Singapore, we did immediately after the invasion of Russia. Uh, in, in, in Ukraine, we did a big uh, exhibition uh, to support uh, Ukraine. We did that together with the Ukrainian embassy. And, mm. and the good thing is, you know, like, um, like a lot of ambassadors came there, even the ambassador of the U.S. who wrote us wow. a letter. Like, Thank you, guys. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Or, you know, like uh, every year during uh, Tokyo Pride, our gallery is one of the, the, the hotspots as well. And, you know, mm. we do a lot of work for the LGBTQ uh, community, you know, like so, we also use it as a as a way to communicate ourselves and help the community because I think you know you cannot work for a company anymore without doing something back. So I think that that's also different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I'm also proud of is that we're quite international in Tokyo. Most of people are bilingual; they they speak Japanese or at least a reasonable level, and, and most people are there for a longer period of time because it's important to yeah. get to know the culture first. Yeah, we made it into an international bunch of people, and I think 
this is something that a world city like Tokyo deserves because, you know, you could still very homogeneous society and, and has to open up. It has to be, as we said at the intro talk before, you know, you put on the recording is that, you know, like this week Japan finally opened up. Like, come on, guys, you know, like yeah. live and connect to the rest of the world because yeah. it's important. Yeah, well, it's going to pass you by as well. I mean, that's the other side of it too. I mean, yeah. there's a necessity for it as well, I think, to to shift and change a totally. little bit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you on that one. Yeah, and not only, uh, also for advertising, you know, like that, it's an aging society and, and it's actually, yeah. you know, the, the population is shrinking. So Japanese companies, they need to find, you know, like other markets. So, yeah. you know, like they need to be connected to the rest of the world. So, you know, like if we can help there, and we do that already for Mitsubishi Fuso, which is a traditional Japanese client, you know, the, the truck division of uh, yeah. Mitsubishi, now owned by uh, Daimler. So we help them with global communication. And also there we show a different side of Japan. So we had a series of female truck drivers. And, and okay. that kind of stuff, which is, I think it's also important to show that side, Ben, because, you know, gender equality in Japan is also still, I think, same level as Zimbabwe, something like ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they need to also up their game there as well. And by taking a positive approach and communicate, you know, like the people, then I think we can have a positive influence on, mm. on, on the country. Because I think similar like you, I, I love Japan. And mm. it's, it's such an yeah. amazing country. But sometimes you think like, come on, guys. You have so much beautiful things to offer. But yeah. Open up. Yeah. That's a really interesting point that you raised there. And I really like that because it's, again, it's a point that like first off or first impressions when somebody considers the world of advertising, if you're not involved within it, you wouldn't necessarily consider those aspects like sort of like the, the I don't know, the social impact that the profession can have on shifting, changing perceptions of a culture, of a society. Whether yeah. it's directly, you know, as part of the strategic or whether it's just a byproduct of it. I think that's a really interesting yeah. point. Yeah. Then I think the, the, the skin condoms uh, case study is a very interesting one. The skin is, a, is, a, is an Australian company. The mother company is a rubber company. And they, they made these, these skin condoms, which are, it's not latex, it's a different material. So it's, mm. it's very soft. Yeah. Okay. So that's why it's probably skin with a, a Y. And they came to us, you know, like with all their global ads, which were, you know, like women in, in sexy outfits, you know, like with some kind of cheeky tagline and, you know, like uh, yeah. skin condoms. So we said, like, guys, you know, like this is not going to work in Japan because, yeah. you know, like you, you want to talk to Japanese, you have to use Japanese models. Yeah, but there is an Asian model, but she's Chinese, man. You know, yeah, it's not gonna that's work, not going to work. But, you know, like, a lot of West people, they don't know. Yeah? Right. So we said, let us go back to the drawing board. First, you know, like, let's look at it from more you know like a step back and first think about the strategy so first of all you know like we found out that a lot of women are buying condoms as not only just men because they use it in couples as well as also anti-conception you know like uh, the pill is not yeah you know like that commonly used in japan so condoms you know like are also bought by women we found out there's no condom brand not not any of the local brands you know that are communicating to women mm. also another thing that you have to know Jurex failed three times on the japanese market so we knew that we had to do something different yeah so right. then we also found out the sex rate in japan is quite low compared to other markets people don't have a lot of sexual interaction so it's still a bit of a in a way taboo topic to talk about with mm. couples yeah and then, you know, like a very important thing is we gave a lot of samples uh, to, to couples to, to try. And what we found out is that like almost 99% said like, wow, this is so much better than the stuff that's out there. Mm. So we knew that okay, sampling is very important. 
Yeah. So combine that, you know, like talking to couples, sampling, and, you know, like we need people to have more sex. So then we thought, okay, you know, like the problem is also when you promote uh, condoms in Japan is that a lot of media, they say no, because, you know, like mm. for them, it's sex related. So you're right. on the blacklist. So we had to find alternatives. And we went back to a very, very old medium, a, a newspaper in Japanese. Mm. It's a shimbun. Yeah. And we made it into the skin boom, you know, like, and mm-hmm. um, we put a condom inside because, you know, you cannot sample with a bucket of condoms on the street, right? You know, right, you need right. To, we need a vehicle. We used a newspaper as a vehicle and we had four editions in the year. And there's always, you know, different um, topics around yeah. sex related. And we were sampling those newspapers where, you know, the couples go, movie theaters, uh, in the parks around the Valentine's Day, yeah, White yeah. Day, and so on, and and of course all this content was also distributed on, online. So that was already amazing. Got a foothold for skin in Japan, but then we changed even more. Sort of like you know, like we really focusing more on couples, 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 and you know, like beautiful photos, very nicely made, and also you know, like focus on the intimacy between couples, on mm. the longevity. You know, like so the latest campaign we actually hypnotized a couple that were already 10 years together and they we yeah, hypnotized them. This. And so we put them in yeah. a room together and that they were meeting each other for the first time. And it was beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And the reactions were so good, especially a lot of Japanese women. They wrote us like, oh, thank you so much for doing this because the vision of people, you know, especially Japanese male looking at sex is just so distorted. They, they, yeah. Yeah, they look probably at Japanese porn, which is all around pain and suffering and it's very imbalanced you know like couples who are like you know like imbalanced and by doing that also media opened up because out of the sudden we were able to buy media because media saw like oh yeah no this is this is actually okay to communicate so we were able to buy shibuya crossing never done before you know like or you know the tv space so by changing the perception and really reach you know like an insight that can really help also sell the product instead of just mm. tunnel vision, like our oh, sex related males are, you know, like using condoms and that's why I can only communicate to males. No. Yeah. We also did a, like a large, you know, like uh, activation for the, the, the gay community around. We launched a special gay related uh, condom and it went through mm. the roof as well. Okay. Never been done before. No, yeah. these kind of things. And, and that makes me happy and proud. Yeah. 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 I can see why. I mean, I get that. Yeah. It sounds like from what we've spoken about already, like some of those sort of campaigns in, in essence, like would personify, they would really truly represent that the work that you guys do. Would you agree to that? I mean, is that really kind of like what? Oh, makes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would seem yeah. to be. That's really cool. I've got this other question too, and it kind of returns, well, it does link up to this and it returns to a point that we were talk, talking about earlier, which is I think like to be successful in this market and referring to to Japan and Tokyo in particular, is that like you really have to fully understand the culture, right? You have to know, I mean, the idiosyncrasies of, of that culture, obviously, right? And, you know, in terms of like your staff, you've already spoken glowingly about them, like how much they contribute and how important they are to driving your success or driving the success of Ultra Super New. In terms of that aspect, could you add to that? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking originally when you might have launched trying to understand the Japanese market, like you can read about it ahead of time, but then once you actually get into it, I mean, there's so many intricacies to it. Like, was it 
easy for you to kind of pick up on this by way of your staff or did that take time to kind of figure out? Yeah, it takes time. Like I was lucky that I was working for an agency before, you know, like, so I arrived in 2002 in Japan and, you know, the first years I was in charge of setting up a branch office for a um, Amsterdam agency. So they paid my learning money. As you know, you know, like the first question Japanese ask you when they meet you, like, how long are you here? And when yeah. you say, like, yeah, I live uh, for a year in Tokyo, they always ask you the same questions, like, can you eat with chopsticks? Do you eat raw fish? Which yeah. is a very polite way of telling you that you don't know jack shit. You're just fresh off the boat and yeah. so on. So now, of course, you know, like I'm living more than 20 years in Japan. So I say, like, oh, I lived 20 years yeah. in Japan. And they're like, oh, oh, so you like it. Yeah, automatically qualifies you sort of in their eyes, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you know, in that sense, Japan is 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 really a close island nation. That's also what I tell people. You know, if you come, if you want to come for quick business and and quick results, don't come to Japan. If you want to build a solid business and and solid relationships, Japan is one of the best countries in the world. And also, I think in terms of our work, and you know, it's not about the money. It's about, you know, like the end result, the work, the pride that you put into it. And mm-hmm. yeah, that is one of the most amazing things that I've learned from Japan as well. Mm-hmm. I, I guess returning to that point as well about early days when you were sort of launching, you said that you did work for another agency and that sort of helped or accelerate your learning. But even still, probably within the first five years, like those types of questions coming in your way, well, how long you've been here? Well, you know, two years, three years, four years, whatever it was at that time. Like there's only yeah. so much learning that you can get to that point. What what sort of like helped propel you? Say when you launched, you know, USN in 2000, 2007, right? 2007? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you launched at that point, you'd been in Japan for, I guess, what, five years, right? From 2002 yeah. to, yeah. So about five years, which is significant. It's decent. But still maybe in the eyes of Japanese, that still might be considered, you know, not all that long, really. So how did you sort of like get past those points of issues of trust and, and everything else? Was it that you had staff that you were relying on heavily to kind of guide you through some of those, I don't know, potential pitfalls, if you will, early on? Or was it just the ideas that you guys were coming up with were just, you know? Now, the thing is, you know, like, it's, of course, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard work. You know, like, it's just, you know, like, uh, again, Japan is it's not an easy country you know, when you arrive. It's for a reason that Lost in Translation was made in Japan. It's how you feel, you know, when you're there. But it's also a fantastic mystery of, of the country that, you know, yeah. it looks very yeah. modern and, and progressive, but you can't read, you can't speak. Everything is different. You know, like yeah. Everything, everything, everything. So it's just hard work. You get, get to know a lot of people, you know, read a lot. And, you know, like my first book that I read was, you know, like Made in Japan. Uh, from like uh, uh, Morita-san, the founder of Sony, those kind of things. Yeah, like I was fortunate enough that you know, like I could go to school for the first year to learn Japanese, and, and mm. uh, that at least you have a solid base of, of Japanese. Breaks the barrier. Yeah, and also you know like you can uh, interfere when you know, like for example, interpreters are the, the wrong, you know, like stuff and so on. And I think also you know that like if you really want to learn the cultural nuances, you have to learn the language and. and mm. You have to understand that the DNA is so significantly different than from the Western. Yeah. yeah? You know, take, for example, the language. It's, it's not an alphabet language. It's a mm-hmm. character-based language. Yeah? yeah. And and that's significantly different in thinking. Yeah? They don't yeah. think in, in combinations of letters. They think in combinations of characters. Yeah. So 
the philosophy is completely different. Yeah, we come from like you know like Greek philosophy and so on. That was the foundation yeah. for Western thinking. For them, you know, it's Confucius and and Buddhism. You know, also completely different religion. So the foundation, the DNA, is different. Yeah, yeah. That's also what I tell like Western people when they come to Japan. Take off your Western glasses and take it as it is. Don't yeah. question too much. You know, like just take it as it is. That's the first step of you know, like finding your way in Japan. Because if you're gonna scream and yell when you are at a sandwich shop and you you know there's a ham and cheese sandwich, but you only want to have cheese, but you can't have that because it's not on the menu. Take it as it is. <laughs> like, yeah. Of course, you know, like it's not logical because when they make the sandwich, instead of you know, like just putting ham and cheese on it, they can also put cheese on it. But that's just the way you know, like a lot of Japanese think. It's, it's yeah. very yeah. programmatic. Yeah. So take it as it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No. 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 That, that definitely makes sense. Kind of in line with that sort of you know train of thought that we're on right now, in terms of I guess your role with your staff. And you you mentioned already you have staff that, you know, are Japanese, you know, and then also some that are foreign as well. And in terms of, I guess, like people within your industry, like the needs and demands of somebody working with an advertising, I mean, these people by nature, when you yourself, you know, are creative, you know, and creative expression, abstract thought, all these things are very highly sought after and valuable. So Mm. for you as someone that understands that in order for your business to succeed, you have to have that culture that's promoting this constantly in in an authentic way, obviously. Like, what has that challenge been like? You know, because you have like, does this notion of creativity kind of like bridge the culture? Or is that something that, you know, you have to kind of cater to Japanese needs on stoking their creativity and, and abstract thought? And then it's a different style or approach to those who are non-Japanese, say. Yeah. The, the, the good thing is I got my business partner, Tomo yeah. Murakami, who is uh, Japanese. And we use each other for that. You know, like, so when, uh, gotcha. you know, like, sometimes, as you know, you, know like, you have to play it according to Japanese rules. There's yeah. no role for us. No matter how well we speak Japanese or... Yeah. How well, how well we're assimilated to the culture. We just, we are not Japanese. Tomo is doing that part. But sometimes, you know, like Tomo is hitting walls as well. And then I can be the rude gaijin, the rude foreigner coming in yes. and pushing things through. So we can do the good cut, Play bad cut. Another. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's insightful. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I think it does. Also, maybe maybe this plays into it as well. I mean, you've spoken this already, but like some of the the art galleries, I mean, that's something as well that maybe, I don't know if your staff is involved aside from like maybe putting things together. Are are they actually contributing to it as well at times? Like, does that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then, yeah. You know, like we had staff doing their own exhibitions or, you know, putting their own passions in there uh, or, you know, getting their friends there. And and it became sort of the beating heart of the agency. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do like... much more with it. We are playing around, you know, like with a uh, few things that, uh, first of all, our virtual gallery will be launched uh, end of November, okay. which is uh, going to be completely different than anything out there right now. Because I think when you look at the NFT platforms such as mm. OpenSea, it's just absolutely terrible. You know, like it's not about the art, it more looks like a stock trading platform. Yeah. So we want the art to be central again and, and, and the storytelling. And also, you know, like when you create a virtual world, I want to be able to fly and I don't have earth boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't understand anything of metaverse bullshit with like 
stairs and, and, and nonsense, you know, like mm. and, and clunky looking um, graphics. So we're going to have it completely different. Again, we do that ourselves and, and because we really believe in that future, but we just, yeah, um, believe it in, in, in that it has to be in a different way than March mm. and style. And we're playing around. We're also, you know, creating an artist in residency to, to do more for the art and also get some more foreign foreigners uh, to come to Japan to, to do an artist in residency and to see you know, like what we can combine with Japanese Japanese crafts because there's amazing craftsmanship in, in Japan yeah. but sometimes very outdated designs you know like and how about bringing that together mm. yeah so th- we are ambitious provide sort of a gateway for you yeah and, and, and also it resonates I think very well with a lot of people that want to find meaning in their life and, and they don't want to you know like work for a tech company you know and trying to yeah. optimize the clicks on an ad no you know they're just yeah. boring as shit yeah i mean you make maybe a lot of money at google but really that that's that's what yeah. you want to do no yeah. and, and and make some stuff differently i think in your introduction you said it right creativity usually is the driver for you know like society you know you saw that already in, in history you know like in florence in, in the yeah. 15th century you know like when the medici took uh, michelangelo and da vinci it was the start of the renaissance like uh, my city where i am right now amsterdam in the 17th century you know like with the free thinkers such as descartes uh painters rembrandt and so on you know like it was the yeah. golden age of amsterdam or new york in the 80s with warhol you know like it's mm-hmm. artists the free thinkers that yeah you know push it forward and yeah. I strongly believe in that. And also with, you know, like technology is more and more and more with artificial intelligence, you know, that's a part that computers will not be able to do, at least not for a long time. And I think as Elon Musk said at the moment, they can do that. Then it's the end of, of humanity because they will eliminate us in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, get yeah. rid of those hairy apes. <laughs> Well, maybe on that note, maybe we should shift over to the last segment here. I am conscious of your time. And the last segment here is something called the crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking at the future trends and so on and so forth. And you've spoken to this already briefly, uh, you know, one being like the digital nature of your industry. I mean, that's, that's certainly not going anywhere. It's a lot of efficiency embedded within all of that. You know, brands want that. They want to see the numbers. They want to be able to make strategic decisions off of all of that. Of course, that's not going to go away. Um, you'd also mentioned metaverse, you know, Web3. That's certainly some uh, terms that are catching on right now. There's been a lot of chatter about, but there's certainly more than that. And uh, you just spoke about like the NFTs and, and all these different things as well. I mean, what, what is it that you're seeing down the pipeline? Or maybe it's things that your clients are asking you about, you know, in, in terms of moving forward in the industry moving forward. Uh, what do you see on the horizon? I guess is what I'm trying to do. No, I think the big, uh, big, trend right now is that our industry is going back to the core again which is creativity you know like, yeah. uh, the tech companies they took over too much uh, with all their stories that data is the most important thing ai optimization and blah 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 mm. and you know like if you look at the world like 80 percent of the data is in the hands of two companies is google and facebook you know like so yeah. um uh, when you are you know like a brand such as adidas you look at the, the same data as your competitors because mm-hmm. Nike, Puma, New Balance, and Essex, they're all fishing in the same pond. So you can optimize your data. And then what? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it still comes down to that story. You know, like, what is that story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I say Rolls Royce and you close your eyes, you have an image of a Rolls Royce in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's luxury and it's, you know, like it's from the UK and it's blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole story around it. 
That's why, you know, like when I say the word Panasonic, you probably don't have any feeling. You don't know electrical and stuff, but that's it. Storytelling, the creativity, you know, how you can uh, differentiate yourself, you know, like what mm-hmm. resonates, you know, like to people, you know, like also it's a sign of quality as well, you know, like that's like back in the days. It's a Sony, like Morita, you know, like uh, the Steve Jobs of his generation. Mm-hmm. Personally, inventor of the Walkman, he said, "It's the Sony. That was that was a quality mark." But what Apple is now? Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. It's, it's important that you know like, that, that people, yeah, see that and go back. And, and so I'm actually quite bullish about the coming time for us at least. Mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, it's kind of there's some circularity to that in our conversation. You know how we led things off. You know, speaking about the profession and, uh, you know, what drives it forward, what drives things forward for you guys, what makes you so successful. And then also to to kind of close out this way as well, kind of returning to this, this point of, like I said, just like purity is the best way of kind of encapsulate this idea. So maybe with that in mind, it might be a nice point to uh, to sign off on all this. But uh, I can't thank you enough, Mark. I mean, it's been a really riveting conversation from start to finish, and I've enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Chris. Well, for those interested in learning more about Mark and his work, you can find him, Ultra Super New, his company, the website, and also you can find him on LinkedIn. And for reference, the links will be included in the show notes. Also too, if you like today's show, please be sure to share and it helps a great deal. You can also rate, review and subscribe wherever you access your podcast and head on over to YouTube. We did launch a channel over there in the last year where you can check out video conversations. And also the cool thing there too, is that we will have like a, a visual overlay of imagery associated with the talk so you can kind of take it in a different manner and then of course don't forget to tune into the next episode of life as a where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind i'm your host christopher schoenwald until next time stay curious about life and living